This week on Geek Explained, it's that time of year again. We're dedicating the entire month to creator-owned comics and kicking things off with a look at the man in the Macintosh suit with creator Rena Ayuyang. Welcome back to In December. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is part one of In December 2023. That's right, we're back, y'all. It's an entire month dedicated to creator-owned comics, and we are kicking things off with The Man in the Macintosh Suit. This is one of my favorite books that I've read this past year, and I got to sit down with writer and artist Rina Ayu Yang and... I'm just really excited to share this conversation with you. Um, this is one of my favorite books of the year, and I just loved, 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 loved being able to talk to Rena about this book. Uh, we also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, and our latest weekly review on Wild Blue Yonder, special two of the Doctor Who 60th anniversary specials, so stay tuned after the jump for that. But for now, let's just roll right on into part one of In December, as I sat down with Rena Ayuyang to talk all things The Man in the Macintosh suit Our sin was following a love that could not be now my sin is wanting you Though you forgotten me, the year is nineteen twenty nine. Filipino migrant worker Bobot receives a letter from his cousin claiming to have spotted Bobot's estranged wife in nearby San Francisco. What follows is a noir tale of identity, hardship, and how far someone will go to find their lost love. We are here. It is in December time once again, the most wonderful time of the year where we are dedicating an entire month to create our own comics. And I am so freaking excited about the comic that we're going to be covering today. It is The Man in the Macintosh Suit, a detective noir tale set in the late 1920s with oh my god, a Filipino lead. You know <laughs> I am so excited about any kind of stories, especially in the comic medium that feature Filipino characters, Filipino leads. So 
this is a book that was made specifically for me. So I am very excited <laughs> to talk about this. And I'm even more excited because my guest this week to talk about this story is the artist, writer, creator, cartoonist, incredible, extraordinaire, Rena Ayuyang. Rena, welcome to Geeks Explained. Wow, thank you so much. I'm really actually excited to be here and to be celebrating celebrating the holidays with you. It's, it's, and, and, and I'm just so um, glad that we can do this day and talk about the book. Me too. I was, it's funny because we did uh, our first in December last year and we finished off with an Asian led <laughs> detective noir story. And we are kicking oh. things off this year with an Asian led <laughs> detective noir story. So I love, I love oh, parallels. Wow. I, I love this book and I have to give a quick shout to uh, the real deal, Brian Real, who was the person who let me know about the event that I attended <laughs> earlier this year that got me hooked on this book, The Man in the Macintosh Suit. And it's where oh, wow. we met. And I got you to yes. sign this copy. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was, and it was with um, um, Pisha Shote, um, uh, Portsack Pisha Shote. And, and um, yeah, that w it was just a great evening. It was just a great celebration of like Asian creators and also Asian detective stories. So that was just like a, a fun, fun time to just talk about, um, about noir with, uh, and, and, and just, and it was just so much fun at Skylight Books. It was just also fun, like uh, meeting you too, because uh, I'm a big fan of your work too. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the wildest thing. So I, I go and I'd never been in this bookstore before. I love oh, the wow. bookstore. And oh, yeah getting to meet you listening to you talk about this story and mm -hmm. how much it means to you how much it means to you as a creator and as someone who is of filipino descent and having someone gush about this story that again <laughs> i'm like this book was written specifically for me it was created specifically for me as someone who is like dying. i love hearing that i love hearing when people say it's like it, it's specifically meant for them and because uh, that's kind of how i write stories it's like i want to make a story that i i want to see out there and 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 we'll see how like if anybody else likes it like so i love how that there's a personal connection um between authors and, and readers and then that's what really keeps me going with with telling these types of stories absolutely so, and yeah. we got to talk after your after your talk with the book and mm -hmm. i was shocked when we ended <laughs> up being fans of each other and uh, -huh. uh because Rena is a Fallout fan, and we got to talk a little bit about Fallout. It was really fun. I, I have never been in the situation where I want to take a picture with someone. They're like, can I take a picture with you? And it just, it made my entire year. And I am, I'm so glad that, that we got fun. to connect over that. I don't even know how we found that out. That, that we, I mean, maybe it was just like hearing your voice, but then I don't, oh, you know why? Because there's a, um, the char a character in the book. Named Danilo. Danilo. And yes. we had we and you had said, God, I I I I did a character of um and his name was Danilo. I'm like what? And and so we like we <laughs> <laughs> we did we had our own little detective story going on. We we're trying to do like what what is this? And then yeah, I and I realized that you were in Fallout 76, which is like one of my favorite um one of my favorite video games. Like I'm addicted to that. Like I like even though they haven't really I mean, I think there's 
who knows what they're going to do with it but like i am just super addicted like i i'll just play that every day like it's it's i'll like complete missions i'll complete your mission (laughs) i almost played it this morning just to like you know (laughs) i gotta get i gotta get in the zone i gotta remember what he sounds like (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that was really exciting for me i wanted to ask have you seen the trailer for the uh for the fallout show I have, and I'm I'm super excited about it. Me too. Um, and I read about it. I read about what, what they were trying to do, and the creator of the video game was talking about how it's it's going to be canon. So yeah. I, I'm kind of excited that anything we watch on the screen is going to be a part of like the whole world that we've been you know playing the video game in, and which is also funny because my my husband. Who knows that I'm a Fallout fan? Like he knows that I love video games. He loves video games too. But he, I shared shared the article with him, and he was just saying, "Yeah, I just think it's so funny how they're like I had to make sure to say that it follows canon. Like you know, it's a video game. You know, it's just it's just it's just a. And I'm just there, like in my corner of my house, like in the room, listening to him. I'm just like, uh huh, uh huh, like like as if like pretending it that doesn't matter to me. And I'm like, um, but it does because I mean, it, 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 we could go into it like this entire episode, but like, you know, when, when you watch like The Last of Us, which I actually haven't seen the show because oh, I've really? just been so depressed from what we're playing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, there's no way I can watch this. I've just gone through it. Like, I just, I've yeah. gone through The Last of Us and I don't think I could do that again. But, hearing that they have like different stories and also like kind of stretching like uh, other story arcs with like supporting cast. It's, it's, I, I love how they've, um, how they've done that, how they've, you know, approached it. Um, but I also am like excited, like whenever someone is really, you know, following, <laughs> I mean, cause there's just so many like fans of, of, yeah. of this video game and, um, and like, not just the music, but like, yeah, Fallout 4, Fallout 3, like, it's just, it's just, there, there's everything. a lot of expectation. There, yeah. So, um, but what I've seen in the trailer, looks really great. And I, I just love all the actors in it and, um, you know, Kyle McLaughlin's in it. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, I forget, I, I, I don't have her name right now, but from like Yellow Jacket yeah um, yeah it's and just and just seeing that world on screen just like the you know the power armor and like the vault and <laughs> oh just and seeing a, the vertebrate like yeah and seeing a rad roach when i saw the scene with a rad roach i was like <gasps> i got like trauma flashbacks seeing that thing and i was like no i only had like a pipe <laughs> when i could fight that thing it was traumatic for me yeah yeah but i was when i saw the rad roach i was just more like oh Oh. that's how i felt seeing the uh the yagai the uh the big old okay. bear i was like oh they got oh. that oh oh no oh. No, that's <laughs> no no but yeah okay. i i i loved that trailer i think it's gonna be really cool we're kind of in yeah. that golden age of video game adaptations mm-hmm. um they're, mm-hmm. they're starting to really pick up steam last of us you mentioned um we are we're quickly heading towards everybody wanting to make adaptations of video games and i'm for it yeah as long as it's like additive and not reductive to that like i love that the fallout show is going to be canon and that we could see elements Mm -hmm. of it like in the games or having the games impact 
the show. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. And I mean, it's, it's taking place outside of LA. So it's. I was wondering, like, that looked like LA. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I saw the last the shot of the explosions <laughs> going and yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I recognize that highway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be cool. So turning, <laughs> turning the conversation to you and to yes. a man in the Macintosh suit, <laughs> I want to, I want to start off with you and kind of talk about your journey as a creator what made uh -huh. you want to become a storyteller especially in this medium uh, well i always loved comics um mostly sunday funnies like comic strips um and i just like the humor that i found in that and i just wanted to make a comic strip just like what i read um in the sunday funnies and in the newspaper um like peanuts and family circus um nancy just all those things so i i i was pretty interested early on and i was just always interested in drawing to begin with um and then uh you know i got got into art got an art degree and then after college um i just discovered comics again because there was like a whole period where you know, i wasn't really um looking at comics because I just thought like, oh, that's a childhood thing. Because especially because I was like, you know, reading comic strips, and I was like, maybe I should stop reading this collection of Garfield, <laughs> um, um, and and just like being really serious about my art. But then I, um, around like college, I I discovered um, I was in Stacy's bookstore in San Francisco, and I I discovered this graphic novel section. Because usually back in the day, there was always just like you know comics and humor section, and there would always be you know there wouldn't be anything really interesting. Um, and I saw the graphic novel section there, mostly like Marvel, um, and and the main you know the the big two like DC and Marvel collections. And there was this one kind of just in the middle of of, of the pile of the shelf, and it was um it was Adrian Tamina's uh, collection. Um, Sleepwalk, uh, called Sleepwalk, that was a collection of his um, optic nerve comics. And, and these were just like, I was just like, so it, this was like, it was so shocking to me, because like, just the story that he was telling, or just like, nothing I had seen before, nothing like, you know, on comic strips, or even like, superhero comics. And these were just these are just stories about normal people like having relationship issues having you know with their with their significant others or their 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 parents or just like going through the day it was very like these slice of life tales and I was just really excited about that just like the art and the storytelling and um and I found out that these were a collection of mini comics that were self-published and so I just decided to like publish my own comics in like early 2000 and was just these very like as many this like photocopied you know zine black and white i went to the local printer shop i didn't know what i was doing i brought my originals and slapped them on a photocopy <laughs> machine and and did everything trial by error and, and i made a book and i made this like a series called namby pamby <laughs> which lasted <laughs> for five issues and um I really didn't know what I was doing, but it was just like I was, it was a great platform. It was a great place to explore storytelling and figuring out my art style. So, um, so yeah, that's how I just started doing these types of comics. Um, was, was that just from, from, from self publishing and 
the indie comic scene. And so. those stories that you were talking about from Namby Pamby were eventually collected into Whirlwind Wonderland, right? Yeah, like the later ones were, and there were some other like things I did maybe online or in anthologies. They were they were in that first um, debut graphic novel um, that was published through Sparkplug Comic Books and Tugbook Press, which are two um, indie indie uh, indie publishers, indie comic publishers in Portland. So yeah, so yeah, that was fun. I love I love stories of people like just like in a, in a creative field where it's just like I really like doing something so I'm just gonna do it and like yeah and I mean it are. was just it was just so low stakes I mean I didn't you know I was just like it was just I was just excited to like hey this is like what I always wanted to do it was sort of like a um full circle moment like I I always wanted to be a cartoonist and then I thought, okay, this is probably not something I can really do, have a career at. And so I'll just stop and just like focus on a different, a different um, career art career move. And then, and then to go back, it was just sort of like, this is like, not to be like, but it just felt like my calling. Like, it just felt like it was exactly what uh, I was supposed to do. But, um, um, but also I love that it was just like very low in the beginning, it's very low stakes and no one really saw anything I did except people that I traded comics with or like at, at conventions. Um, so around that time it was just like, no one's going to publish this, but like we will do whatever we want to do. Like it was it was very much on founded on, you know, like DIY. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the whole punk based on the whole punk. Theme, like 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 how love and rockets was started like Absolutely. we were all really inspired by by the hernandez brothers just like starting from a fanzine and then them getting published and them just making so many issues i think that was our whole dream was to be like the hernandez <laughs> brothers basically and, and... I, I think it's worked <laughs> out for you and i and i want to say real quick you have full carte blanche on this on this podcast to be as corny as you want <laughs> that that is that is our bread and butter like that cornball what kind of corny like are you because are you talking about corny like sci-fi superhero corny or romance all of it corny all, or, all corny or... all corn all camp is or... accepted here i've oh, i've talked about so corny? many comics i've cried about comics like this is oh. a very emotionally led show so you wonderful are, you are you are full on you you have my unabashed permission to be as corny as you want but you mentioned well i come i come from the indie comic scene so like corny is just not a part of our it's you know like yeah. saying like it's my calling is we're like oh you know <laughs> It's like, ugh, cringe. Like, no way, man. But yeah. no, like I, I I love that. And I think that your your style, like you mentioned being a cartoonist, and I think that especially in the comic space, we're seeing a lot more of that recently when it comes to like mm. mainstream eyes on mm. the cartoonist's role in a comic book space where they're they're writing they're doing art they're illustrating they're doing their colors their inks like you do it all in this yeah. story and in your stories so is there something that kind of speaks to you about being solely kind of responsible for that process and is there something that are there things you love about it or things that make it difficult 
I think the, the biggest thing is that there's a huge amount of ownership. Like it's yeah. your baby and um, you, you, I mean, it's just like Macintosh is just like, a, is proof of like, I just wanted Filipino characters in this story. And yeah. I don't know if anywhere else I could do that. <laughs> um, so easily and, and, and um, you know, and, and thankfully my publisher is like game for uh, like a lot of like what their authors do, like Tron and Quarterly. And um, yeah, I think that was the whole thing with self, like self-publishing is just being able, being able to create your own characters and make your own stories that weren't very mainstream at the time. And, um, and calling the shots or like, like being your own boss. I think that was like the main, main thing, but just, mostly telling your being able to tell your own stories like a lot of the stuff I do is auto bio so I'm just telling stories about my family in, in a lot of my stories <laughs> I mean I mean I don't know like is that a there's a if there's a huge audience for that but you know it's it's just something I want I just needed to like share and to put out there so um I think that's the big thing and I mean especially like when we kind of start like indie comics is just like sort of that not like a response to you know dc and main dc and marvel mainstream and not being able to you know own your own characters and i think that's where that kind of stemmed from is being able to own your own stuff and own your own um properties you know um and uh so uh, yeah that's always been the thing is just being able to to um make your own comics the way you want to do it yeah and yeah i mean there's there's it's a lot of work yeah oh for sure i'm sure (laughs) like because you're you're doing ridiculous like you said it's your baby so you kind of have to be responsible for that is is there anything that like i don't know are, are there any like struggles that you kind of have to work through when you're self publishing are there any things that you in particular get like ah grind your gears a little bit but it's for the love of the baby mm-hmm. um well just like the whole process of comics is like it's hard to to sometimes be excited it's because like you have to do like 200 300 pages yeah. for a graphic novel <laughs> so after you've gotten the story written down and it looks and you figure out the characters you're like oh i have to do two i have to draw 200 pages of this <laughs> and color them and and edit them so it, it is like it's it's i was at an event recently and they were just they, they were like talking about you like you, you you do like pretty much you do realize you you draw and you color and you write everything and they're like like and i'm like uh-huh and they're like like how do you have time to even do all that and they're like I don't know <laughs> like it's just it's like it's an addiction it's like if you love drawing and, and comics like especially comics from other other creators it's just so inspiring so it just keeps you you know going and um um especially if it is like you feel like it is your baby you just feel like you like, no we're gonna keep going we're gonna see it to the end and, like you know there's there's that like feeling of sacrifice and um, yeah. um and um and when it when it's like finished and completed it's it's just um there's just a, a lot more gratitude and a feeling of of um like happiness just being able to accomplish that whole feat but um yeah it's a lot of work <laughs> but um 
I don't know why we do it. I just it's just like so addictive. It's like I mean, yeah. comics is like even being a reader is addictive. Like it, oh, it's just sure. like I need to get that. Sec- I need to get that issue. I need to get that. You know, it's just it's just we just there's just just that whole drive to just keep keep at it to yeah to be a part of it too. You know, just to be a part of like all this all these these comics on the con- on the shelf. You know, it's just to be a part of that whole thing is is exciting. Thanks. Absolutely. And, and, and building yeah. out like, you know, I, I think there's, especially in any kind of like creative space or fandom in general, there is a sense of like community that you're kind of striving mm-hmm. for. And yeah. even when you are like with this book and with your works doing the work of, you know, what's typically a five person team, usually mm-hmm. um, having a story that, you know, like I said, like felt was written specifically like, all right, I'm going to make a comic that Eric is going to like, and <laughs> I hope that he does. And I did, and I loved it. And, oh. you know, coming in and being able to, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, I don't know if there's an audience for that. There absolutely is. Like, there are <laughs> tons of people who I've been recommending this to. I got an extra oh, copy perfect. from my dad, and I sent that to him because he oh. was like a big part of me getting into comics in general. And, you know, oh, we always wow. talk about how there aren't very many Filipino voices in comics and so being able to send that to him and make connections with that like there is a lot of you know positive effects that comes from i'm sure hours and days and months and years of sleepless nights working on stories like this (laughs) i mean it's exciting it's exciting to like i think part of getting through it is just the excitement of having a story put out there like this like it's just you know that um that people feel seen that people that usually don't feel seen are are feeling seen through this book um at the same time especially when you talk about elders (laughs) and parents it's it's a little intimidating especially when you're talking about the history of filipinos because i mean as you know eric (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's it's very hard you know it's it's i'm just hoping i'm always hoping whenever you like say yeah i gave this gave this book to my dad i'm like oh no <laughs> I, just, I just always feel like did i do the right did i do it the right thing or did i do it the right way you know and um so w- with like immense pride and at, at, at having this book out there's also this feeling of <laughs> <laughs> tread and intimidation that like the aunties and uncles are like hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> gotta make sure the titos and titas know yeah. that the, yeah. you know we're, we're we're trying our best out here that's right, right, right. that's all we can do <laughs> but with the man in the macintosh suit again this is a this is a filipino-led detective noir story and i want to ask do you were you a fan of the noir genre growing up and is there anything in particular oh, yeah. about that genre that inspires you as a creator? Well, I just, um, I've, I've loved it since like, you know, when I started reading comics, like the serials, the Dick, Dick Tracy, yeah, um, the Alex Raymond stuff, the, just like all the, the kind of romance, melodramatic comic serials. Um, and I just loved watching them to film noir, um, classic Hollywood, 30s, 40s. Um, this is just all, it's like in my wheelhouse, it's my jam. And so I've just been like enamored, especially by classic Hollywood 
like films like The Thin Man is a huge influence and <laughs> a lot of the, the film noir and set in San Francisco is a, a huge um, influence too. But I, but I just, when I watch them, you know, they're all, you know, white, white men and, right. and white leading ladies and, <laughs> uh, and, and set, being set in San Francisco, I just felt like it was just, it just, it would just, it just felt obvious, but also just felt like this would be fun if, you know, we had these just like characters that were just like out, you know, out of just in living in San Francisco, these normal people. And usually the people that are in the background, usually right. the like supporting characters or like, you know, the comic relief. Um, I wanted them to have like real agency. Um through this story and and I, I also wanted to know that let people know that they existed in America yeah. during that time <laughs> especially Absolutely. San Francisco um and so I, that's something that I was I've always been interested in, in detective comics I've always been interested in mystery stories I've always been into like you know the Nancy Drew Agatha Christie whodunit type thing and um so I've always wanted to do that um and so this has been sort of in the making well, definitely, like you know, back in when I was a kid. But like, like for like since two thousand ten, I've been wanting to do this since Whirlwinds. I, I've been wanting to do a detective series, yeah. and um, and then it just it just happened that it, it you know came about in, in this year. So, um, and then I, and then I realized like when I I went home because I was doing a lot of I was I was doing I was. So my, my, um, so I was cleaning up the house, like our childhood home, because, um, my, my, my mom is, is moving over here. And, um, so we had to clean the house and I found all this stuff that I had drawn when I was in middle school and high school. And, and I had a bunch of comic strips and one of them was, um, an auto bio strip where I was a late, late, <laughs> late show talk, a talk show host. <laughs> and um and so it was you know it was always it was this sort of like dream like fulfillment type of thing um like yeah. a wish fulfillment I mean um type of thing but then I also found that I did a like this detective comic about a detective called his name was Mosby and I did like about 30 comic strips I found like a bunch of comic strips and they were all very like mostly exposition they were just always just like He's going into a shack, or he, he's 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 the police has called him. It's all set to, up, you know. And yeah, they're all set up, and then like it, like never. I was like reading all the like, and then it's like never. I mean, I guess that's how it is. Serials, like it's like right. kind of never ending. Um, so I've I've been ex I've been interested in doing a detective comic for a long time. So, is is there is there any chance that Mosby may uh may show up in a in a future comic? <laughs> Maybe actually, it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so and and I and I love that you you talked about this because you're right like I've I myself grew up loving detective noir but all yeah. of them especially ones being set on the west coast being set in San Francisco it's like where are the people that right. look like us that are making up a large majority of the people that live here yeah. and 
seeing those kinds of stories featuring Asian protagonists, especially in this period, like the 20s, 30s, that mm -hmm. kind of depression era, um, it's it's wild that it's taken so long to see like a proliferation of those kind of stories. And I feel right. like, you know, over over the past, like, I want to say probably like five, 10 years, like we've been really seeing attention being brought to the kind of historical hardships of mm. Asian Americans during especially that period, but kind of throughout history. So why was it so important to you to show those kind of experiences? Because we get into, you know, blatantly when uh when yeah. and we're gonna talk spoilers i'm just gonna let you know listeners yeah. uh hopefully you've read this oh, i believe you've read this i've talked to you about this you should I've told read you it this. by now you should for months i've been now. telling you about this book <laughs> um but there is a very specific scene where Bobot and astrea go to mm -hmm. try and get a hotel room and it very yeah. specifically says no filipinos allowed so like right. why was it so important to you to tell kind of those stories and to show those kinds of um those moments um well i wanted to show that um that filipinos were part of the u.s history that filipinos were were had, had come to the u.s and that around that time 1920s um there was a huge wave of um people that were finding work and they were mostly um young men um and that they were dealing with very you know they were dealing with like hostility and violence toward them just for existing just for um living in um the united states and it was something that you was re wasn't really taught in schools you know and it, unless outside of like an ethnic studies program nobody really knew that filipinos were um you know discriminated and and were um, a lot of people racially hostile to them and and blatantly like it wasn't just yeah. like casual racism <laughs> it was specific to filipinos it wasn't just like oh just all asians it was like specifically we did not we do not want filipinos in this community and um yeah. mostly because they felt threatened that they were taking over their like jobs um and also taking their women because they're mostly bachelors that came to the yeah. u.s Filipino bachelors that came to the u.s <laughs> so they actually had a law like anti-miscegenation laws you couldn't marry someone outside of your race yeah. um and so they were hugely affected by that and and so it's something that's not really talked about and um i wanted i felt like in the beginning i just wanted it to i actually had thoughts of like it's like with film nords a lot of times stories are just in a bubble and you yeah. you don't even like I don't know where sometimes these stories are you just assume they're all in New York and Gotham <laughs> City type because it's yeah. dark and and there's shadows and there's skyscrapers but you you really don't know where it is and so it, it's just easy to just put them somewhere but um I knew especially around the time period I was going to have them and that they were dealing with certain things that no other you know communities were dealing with at that time that were very it was very specific to them and um and a lot of their decisions were affected by these um these things that were happening to them in their community so right well yeah. and i think that especially when it comes to filipino filipino american stories like it always kind of comes down to this 
weird relationship we have with like identity uh-huh. and whether it's part of like the family unit, whether it's part of your, you know, your community or whether it's part of just like the, the quote unquote American experience as a whole, yeah. like identity uh-huh. is kind of always something that Filipino stories really end up centering themselves around because it's a, right. it's a journey that we're all constantly going on. I mean, yeah. are, we, are we, you know, are we this, are we that, are we, you know, doing stuff to make ourselves proud or are we doing stuff because our right. Lola won't stop talking to us about it for six months, you know? <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what, the, this happens with the whole thing of like, oh, you share your book with your parents. Um, that's, that's the feeling, now you get it. But um, yeah, I think, I think we're one of the most complex Asian communities um, out yeah. there. We have, we've been colonized by so many different groups of, of different countries and we've also been influenced by a lot of those colonizing culture their cultures and so there is like uh, there has always been a struggle or just a question of like who who am I like what is a true Filipino um and and I think that that is talked about in the book um just the whole thing like of you know this enamor being enamored with western culture um because that is something that is a huge part of being Filipino is that we've we've um we've been you know influenced by the West a lot more than the East and Absolutely. um so there there is a commentary of like you know what what is what makes a person um you know like what is the ultimate man you know what is yeah. what is the you know and and like what what do you strive to be and i think that's one of the things that bobo is is trying to struggle with and also his like contemporaries is like this this image of who they sh- have, who they should be and, right. and and trying to emulate that and trying to you know make that um something for themselves and um, i think that there's you know having that kind of a love of Americana and like classic Hollywood and stuff is baked at you. Cause like, you're talking about like, yeah, I've got this love of old Hollywood. I was like, yeah, I kind of do too. Where does that come from? And like, it's a lot of like the, the feeling of this, you know, of especially like Filipino immigrants being enamored with that mm-hmm. kind of like glitz of American dream and Hollywood yeah. and all of that stuff. Like, you know, th- this whole thing gets, you know, more or less kicked off by Bobo stealing a suit that mm-hmm. Angel has been like pressed and like, this is my prize possession. And like, there's right. there's nothing else in the world that means more to me than this very specific suit. Mm-hmm. And you know, that has always kind of, you know, fed into a lot of the stories that we see, especially in this era, and especially with these kinds of characters. And I love that you mentioned the the effect that that has on Bobot specifically, because he's always kind of, Bobot's a fascinating character because he's always kind of chasing different dragons. Like mm-hmm. he is chasing after this like unattainable thing. And he's yeah. one of those characters that, I am going to chase the sun down and I'm going to catch it eventually. <laughs> right, and, right. Like he is a fascinating character who is like, I am willing to stop at nothing to yeah. 
you know, accomplish my goals. And you could easily, I mean, you could very easily turn this into a Dick Tracy comic, but that would mm. be so inauthentic to Bobot's character and the journey that he goes on in this. And I love right. that it's very specifically his story. He, he's like an accidental like detective. It's not even, he's not even a detective really. And so whenever I say like, oh, this is a detective story, it's I kind of like, oh, look, because it's mostly just this, it's like a hero story really. It's just right. Bobo trying to figure out, you know, what type of hero he is to, you know, for himself, for his like wife, for like these people, these women, like you know, he's trying to save. So there's a whole like savior complex. These these guys that he tries to save in the in the farms, like he's he's always trying to save somebody or trying to yeah, trying to use the keyword. And so I think I think that's also something he's starting to is like what again, um, what is like you know coming from like being enamored by um heroes in in movies and and you know so it, and also just like the whole thing of like being enamored by the west again it's just like who, who what is what defines a hero and i think that's what he's thinking that a hero is it's just like the guy saving the girl um and you know <laughs> absolutely and so, it makes him a very yeah. unconventional noir protagonist because we're used uh -huh. to you know, if you hear a noir story, it's this grizzled veteran detective who's seen it all and done it all. And Bobo's yeah. this guy who loves those characters and loves mm -hmm. that kind of story. And so it's it's more akin to like when we were trying to do our like string theory detective on how we know each other and how we <laughs> mm -hmm. you know we've heard these vo you know these voices yeah. before, and it makes you want to root for him because he's just a guy yeah. who's in love and trying to find his wife, right? And the story at its heart is a love story, and yeah, I know that I reading through this, I was pleasantly surprised that the man in the Macintosh suit is secretly a queer love story about yes. on multiple levels whether we're talking about mm -hmm. like benny and danilo whether we're talking about dulce and clara like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i loved that and i wasn't expecting <laughs> it so like what what made you want to tell like these stories because this isn't queer stories aren't inherently baked into this genre and it doesn't, right. you know, typically highlight queer relationships. So what made you want to like include these? Because I I loved having them in there <laughs> because it was just like, oh my god, it's you you expect like these twists and turns in noir stories right. and having <laughs> those twists be there, it it elevates the story and I I absolutely loved it. Well, I, I didn't mean for I I I was always want you know, I wanted to I, I well I guess I was seeing all of these shows that were being canceled. Yeah. that were had that were queer centered and like empowering queer relationships and it just like frustrated me <laughs> and so i felt like i needed to not only tell the filipino american experience story but also like the queer love story and yeah. that like it, the whole thing of just not, not not only being filipino but being queer is that it was it's a human story it's like it's it's normal and these actually these relationships are the most healthy if you like read like the story, they're the healthier relationship. Yes. Story. Absolutely. Than these other like heteronormative, you know, relationships. And also the whole, I mean, from the beginning, the book was always about um, kind of 
flipping the whole gender norm. Um, like the man, the Macintosh shoot itself, the title is the whole thing is like, the man in the Macintosh suit, is he really a man? Is he really like this? Right. This like, yeah. And so also like, I mean, I tried to, to show this, but in the cover, the man in the Macintosh suit is not a man, actually. It's, it's, so it is Dulce <laughs> on the cover. Yeah. yeah oh my Dulce God. I, oh. And so I tried to kind of make it like, you know, it's very, very, that's very. so cool every time i talk i mean every time i like say like i, I did this or like it's just so very subtle like everything i do is subtle so that i love that like, okay but um so it's always it was always built like fundamentally on like gender norms and like you know what kind of woman are you what kind of man are you what kind of person are you that was always like the fundamental but theme besides just race and you know um other things of, of the book and um and then in the like early drafts of it you know i <laughs> clara and and um dolce were always like sister kind of like had this sister oh, relationship like they weren't sisters but they had like a very close sisterly relationship yeah and i was just like and it when i kept when i wrote it and i was drawing it it just felt like there was to me it just felt like there was more to that relationship right it was and so i wanted to definitely to to kind of explore that and i think and i it just felt natural that they were together right. um and i i didn't want it to be like oh here's like the plot twist and like using <laughs> you know queer you know like like i i really wanted to be um sensitive to like oh well this is just like you're just using this as a little like like device but it was really that i wanted to show like that there was thinking it was san francisco but there was still you still had to be quiet about you know being queer um right. um but not within your own relationships like not within like you know something like you know between you know your relationships it's, it's totally open and free but like you know but with it for everyone else it's not i like I mean when you read it like another it's like a, like a second time or so like you can kind of see that there is stuff going Absolutely. on and so um or if you're just very you know smart like that like <laughs> you know you're well, like and there, and there are like there like... are times where i'm like people will probably definitely know that these are like some of these are together like you just felt like the chemistry like at least like Absolutely. Yeah. When when <laughs> when uh when Clara or Estrella comes in, mm -hmm. you know, to see Bobo and she's yeah. just standing in there with Dolce and the diner, I'm yeah. like, there's something. I don't know what yeah. this is, but there's something, something there. That, that and, me that I like, yeah. And like you're, you know, <laughs> we talked about like this whole, you know, there is a struggle for identity in this. That's not like a a it, it's a gender neutral story like everyone yeah. looks mm -hmm. for identity and like right. having that be so i keep looking at this cover now and i'm just like <laughs> it's that is an incredible it's it's like those old movie posters that have easter eggs in the poster it's like if you mm -hmm, pay attention mm -hmm. you can solve this mystery before you even watch the movie but yeah. i i love that and i think that the the relationships like you mentioned are the healthiest part like their the yeah. conversation that benny and danilo have uh -huh. oh. is one of yeah. like the greatest <laughs> examples of communication that i've ever seen <laughs> in a relationship and i'm like 
I wish everyone could just be open and talk to each other like this about the things that they are like, I'm feeling this way and I didn't know how to feel this way. And I want you to know how I'm feeling so that we can be on the same page. And I'm like, I am rooting so hard for them because they are, they're incredible. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Danilo as as a character is he's one my of, favorite. So. He's so fun because <laughs> he's always just he is he's your classic like Jimmy Olsen style like right hand <laughs> like he's always there he's always saying something right. and I he's I love the guy. connection between him and Benny once Benny returns mm-hmm. and it's like I just. Man, the the relationships in this I've I've talked about before on the podcast that my favorite stories are always at their heart love stories and mm-hmm, having yeah. that on so many levels here, whether it's Bobo's story, whether it's uh, Clara and Dolce, whether it's Benny and Danilo, you know, it's whether it's Angel and himself, you know, there is <laughs> and his suit, and and that suit, his his whole like, I see him like shouting to the heavens as the rain falls, knowing <laughs> yeah. that he's never gonna yeah, get that Shawshank, suit back. Korea. Yeah, production <laughs> exactly. yeah, and it's there is a certain love that is baked into the story and that mm-hmm. and you you see it in every page in every panel and there's also something else that i personally love and that's when music is incorporated mm-hmm. into a story i'm somebody yeah. who and i've i've talked to people i totally forgot about the music part yeah it's, okay. it's, it's a huge I, part i know of it is story. a huge part it's crazy yeah. <laughs> I just haven't talked about it in a long time so like um <laughs> the music part like i'm always like you know like oh yeah that's a huge yeah it is a huge, it was a huge part of writing it too yeah because yeah. i'm i'm and i've talked to friends who are also comic readers and mm-hmm. maybe it's like a, a weird thing that i do but i like listening to music while i read comics mm-hmm. and so finding out that music was such a big part of this story i was blown away by it and i and i can tell by you know how much it kind of impacts the story that music i'm assuming has a has a pretty big impact on you so yeah. is there I, I i guess like how much does music impact your creative process and how much does it influence the way that you tell stories well in general i just you know i love i love just things that are musical i love you know i i love i love um, the american musical i yeah. love you know like the last book i did i was like trying to do an american musical yes. auto bio and so um so it's always been there and i i and also especially for the story like it, it's totally um you know listening to music and and setting up a playlist of music from that time period um it it definitely influences like where scenes go and like it also influences how characters are shaped um for me and um so yeah we just it just like i love the music of that time period um so that's just always helpful and so i've just always loved and you know i'm always into the romance of those of that music and um and that just kind of led you know it made a huge impact in creating the romance and 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 how the not just like the romance story but just how it's drawn and um how like i you know thinking about 
like it's just just a bunch of like nostalgic and romantic feelings that um, it conjured through through it. So um, so I definitely when I was writing it, like I had a playlist where I to set myself into the mood of of being back in like the late twenties and early thirties. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, I think it's just, for me, it's just very easy just to like incorporate music. Like I've always like been into soundtracks. I've always been yeah. interested in diving into why like certain music was in certain like scenes and certain soundtracks. So like, so a lot of the scenes that have music in them are very, you know, strategically placed and, um, and. And then at the end of the book, there's like a song list so you can like listen. And I okay. think, yeah, I have a Spotify too. I put, I yeah. put on Spotify. Because I wanted to talk to you about this because I mean, <laughs> just in general, the the book plays very musically when you are looking at the mm-hmm. colors, when you're looking at the flow of the story. You do yeah. something incredible with this where not only do you provide like a soundtrack at the end, like right. you're dropping credits and it's like, these are the songs <laughs> that you got to make sure you yeah. listen to. But, and I didn't notice this until the second time I read through this on the inside, you provide needle drop directions yeah, to... for the pages. Oh, really? I've, I've never seen, cause it's like, Did I? you know, I'm always chasing rainbows page four um, page, oh, wow. you know, when my baby smiles at me, page 35, like, you provide these directions in here and i'm like i've never seen this before i do this in my like my normal comic reading but like Uh no getting directions to be like okay play this to set the mood here like it's it was a revelation for me and i was and i had to read through it a third time Uh with those directions in mind so that i could really like absorb the story and i loved I absolutely loved each one of those rereads, you know, in isolation, but having Mm -hmm. one that kind of pulls it all together with the music, knowing what's going to happen, looking for the clues, it makes it such a magical experience and a magical repeat experience. Yeah. So I wanted to give you props on that because that was, <laughs> I've never seen that in a comic before. And it's so freaking cool. And I, I have a feeling our listeners, if they've read through it, may not have noticed that either. So I implore you, reread this, <laughs> go check out that first page before the title drop. It has the directions there and it's so cool. I did want to ask you when it comes to like the soundtrack and you talked about your Spotify, everybody's Spotify raps are going out right now. Were there... <laughs> how how did you come up with the track list and were do you have like a favorite track or there any that you wanted to put on there that didn't make the cut um well i wanted to make sure that they were made during that time period like they were made in the 20s but i you know i was more drawn because the 20s is more music that was done for dancing was it right, more, more was it mostly for like sitting and relaxing and thinking you know <laughs> musing and so there are a lot of rend- like renditions or versions that were later like of those certain songs that were r- written um and created in the 20s um a lot of the later ones that i was more interested in just because they were like slower ballads and i'm always i'm a slow ballad fan same <laughs> <that> really helps <laughs> with the thing but um but also like i this is funny but um i so for the longest time when I would drive my son, he's now 14 years old, but like when he was a child and my friends all know this, he was super into wearing 
fedora and ties and really or like yeah and you know i think i think it's because he saw me playing la noir (laughs) when he was a toddler he's like this is where it's at everybody dresses like this and so he started dressing like that in like pre-k and when i and then he started we started listening to like old like 1940s um songs and i I had to like put the the 19 the 40s on four serious playlist in the car like every day we would listen to on the way so like there are so many songs from that from that radio station that made it to and i would i would research and i said okay when was this written like (laughs) this makes sense like but um a lot of the stuff that i love um i love Artie shaw's music i love I love his like clarinet sound. Um, um, I'm trying to like remember in the playlist. Um, uh, let me see. Um, I like. There's like a like the first song that I remember was um, "My Sin," which is a 1920 song, but yeah. the the rendition I know is the Peggy Lee version. Ah. And so when I did that scene where Boba is um, in the, he's waiting for it to be 10 o'clock so he can go to this nightclub. Yeah. And he just gets, he's in this bar and he just gets like, to take a the time, he just gets drunk. And <laughs> um, and there's on the jukebox or like what whatever they have, the radio or whatever. That's um, page 115 through 117 for those yeah. of you who are waiting for the needle drop uh, directions <laughs> yes. there. um that was like the song that was playing in the and this so this was one of the first scenes i had drawn and had written um and it was a part of it was part of the pitch and i knew from the beginning that like songs were were going to be very specific and very important to certain scenes because that i mean the lyrics of that song is about boba like saying like you know this is like about a relationship that happened and like there and they're still and i still have feelings for this person but it's like unrequited and something's just you know needs it needs to be fixed and you know yeah. so like so i just loved how those lyrics just wove so naturally into that scene and into like the psyche of what like boba's going through at that moment right. um so that was the that was like the first element like yeah like music is definitely going to be a part of this this whole thing that is so um, cool yeah but i also like a lot of like like billy Eckstein is a huge is, is a huge favorite <laughs> of mine so just like you know prisoner of love like just so i wanted all the music to be like just like very part of the theme like prisoner of love obviously is like right. he's like a prisoner of this has music. to be yeah but yeah and so so it, it's it's about unrequited love or trying to search for love or like a love that is like is just not possible you know and um so yeah so it was really important and there's always i mean you you quote i'm always chasing rainbows right at the beginning as well Mm -hmm. that's yeah i mean (laughs) right there there are so many (laughs) different versions of that i had to listen to Uh like at least three or four before i was like okay i I like the harry nielsen one like that's that's kind of my (laughs) go-to yeah but 
I did want to mention as we're as we're winding down here in at the end of the book, we do get that track list uh-huh. where it's showing, you know, side A, side B, serenade for you. Oh, yeah. At the bottom of the pages here. <laughs> yeah. I was like, where is he kidding? You at? tease yeah. like, oh. that Elysium may still be out there and that <laughs> Bobo's story might not be over yet. Yeah. Will we see Bobot again? Oh, definitely. Like, yes. like, I mean, we still have to figure out where she is. Like, that, I mean, she's been missing. We don't know yeah. what's going on. Because um, we, because we find then, out that you know the the whole thing is some you know big conspiracy ruse. by yeah, Dolce and Angel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the end, we get that that post credit scene of right. you know him answering the phone. Someone's on the other line, and it might be her. So. Yes. I immediately, as soon as this book shuts, I'm like, okay, where's part two? What are we doing? Where are we going here? Um, yep. Have you have you started that process? Do you have, you know, a kind of an arc in mind for what's going on with him? No spoilers, have, obviously, because... Yeah, I... no spoilers, no. But no, I have, I have a couple of books in mind or oh, a yeah. couple of comic strips in mind. <laughs> um, but there, yeah, there's definitely... I mean, I mean, in the book, you know, like there's something that's been going on between him and his wife that there's that something has happened and something yeah. um, unresolved has happened and it's still unresolved. And um, <laughs> and I just love a good post credit. Same. <laughs> <You know>? Scene. <laughs> when I said that to my editor, they're like, oh, I just love that. Like, they were just like, <laughs> amazing. And, um, and then I just when I wrote the story, there were just like a couple of like characters that I was just like, these are just like, and then I just, when I continued writing, like the supporting cast was like so interesting to me. And so I wanted to really know what was going to happen with the rest of the characters. So I have this whole thing of like trying to figure out what's going on with the rest of the characters. And um, especially like, you know, Dolce and Clara, like what's, I mean, I have a whole like thing oh, about them. So I'm oh, so my. glad because like yeah, they ride so, off into the sunset at the end yeah, of this, and I'm yeah. like, I'm okay if they just go off and we never see them again. But I kind of want to see what happens next for them. Right, I do too. <laughs> yeah, so I I have a bunch of things like definitely in my head, but like they've been written down and in some format they're going oh, to show that's it. Amazing. So yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Well, I'm I'm really excited, and I really appreciate you coming in and chatting about this. This has been a blast. Yeah, um, thanks, Eric. This is this is if you'd like, if our listeners want to follow up with you and continue, you know, this adventure, this conversation, um, whether it's socials, whether it's websites, whatever. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Where can they find you? And is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, well, um, they can find me on my Instagram, which is at Rena Yay. <laughs> um, <laughs> r-i-n-a-y-a-y i don't know why i chose that um and then yeah of course my website rena yang.com and um yeah just you know buy the book you guys like read the book and share with your friends and you know um give it as christmas presents i don't know that's coming out before the holidays but um yes (laughs) um and uh yeah, no, no, it's just been an exciting year and it's, I've just been really happy about the response and um, um, and just like also very happy to meet you, Eric, and I'm hoping that we get, to see, we get to see more of each other and I get to see more of Danilo on 
my video screen. Oh, <laughs> me too. Me too. Trust me. I'm, I'm feeling the same characters. way. But I, I absolutely, I'm so glad we got to sit down and talk about this. And folks, get Man the Macintosh suit. If you, if you have, I mean, I want to assume, because I like all of you, you listen to the show, I want to assume that you already read through this. But if the in the off chance you haven't, go read this, go to your local shop, pick this up. It is an incredible story. And also, as a as a quick side plug as well, go play, yeah. go pick up Blame This on the Boogie as well. You, oh. Rena mentioned earlier <laughs> a love for American musicals. Y'all know I'm theatrically trained. I love being an American musical. Uh-huh. Go pick up that book too. It rules. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go pick this up. It's an incredible story. And as you heard, it might just be the start of Bobot's adventures. So you're going to want to get in on the ground floor with this. But okay. I wanted to say... and. As Rian said, it makes a great Christmas present. You, you, y'all does. are going to want to introduce this, especially to my fellow Filipino listeners. Get this story. We need more Filipino voices in this medium. We need more Filipino voices in detective noir in general, mm-hmm. um, and and more more story more detective noir stories about people who aren't detectives because I love yeah. characters who I just you know are bumbling around with along with alongside them. So. Um, thank you so much for coming on. This is a blast. Um, go pick up Man in the Macintosh suit. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking to me. And just like Bobot's adventures in December is just getting started. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing the second of three 60th anniversary Doctor Who specials entitled The Wild Blue Yonder. Uh, This episode was a trip, gang. Uh, This episode might go down as one of the best of the uh, revival era, even though I guess technically we're not in the revival era anymore. I don't know. The whole new who versus Hooniverse thing is weird to me, but either way, I really enjoyed this episode. There was a lot of mystery surrounding this. We'd gotten promo materials and, you know, stills and whatnot from the first and the third special, but Wild Blue Yonder was shrouded in mystery. And now I can see why, because not only was this episode not at all what I was expecting, not only was it low-key terrifying, but it was also just a gripping character study on two characters who I'm pretty sure a lot of people in the audience, myself included, felt like we knew pretty well. Uh, the two-hander of Donna Noble and the 14th Doctor, Catherine Tate and David Tennant respectively, have been on our screens for a while you know i like to think that i had a pretty good understanding of these characters and what they've been through but sometimes during the last you know couple weeks i know i have kind of forgotten that their lives continued on since the last time we saw them donna has had about 15 years worth of experiences having a child um 
missing every single ridiculous event that's happened in history for the last 15 years and then getting all those memories back while the doctor has been through millions of years of experiences and so these new memories that both of them carry these new experiences do color the way that they look at things and the way that they interact with each other and I'm going to let you know it enriched this story so, so, so much. Um, this was basically just the two of them for right around an hour. And it gave me major midnight vibes, which you all know how I feel about midnight. I hate midnight. But it took all the things that were good about midnight and made them even better and you threw a little bit of that in, you threw a little bit of heaven sent in, you threw a little bit of the thing in there and put that in the blender, set it to, let's say, setting three, and you get this episode. Um, lots of, there's lots of feelings going on with this episode. Um, whether it be the kind of unnerving, unsettling uh, horror in the mundane, uh, that that's something that's always kind of fascinated me and something that really does get to me is the unsettling nature of mundane things and environments. You know, they get stranded essentially on this spaceship at the edge of the universe and the TARDIS goes away and they go into this giant corridor and we see this dot in the far background, this figure that they later on go on to find out is Jimbo, the robot. And, you know, as scary as things got, there is something incredibly unnerving about just this thing in the distance. We don't know what it is. We don't know what its function is. We don't know what its relation is to our protagonists. And we don't know what's going to happen next with it. So I was freaked out by that. And it made the moments when we got kind of more jump scary, more body horror moments that much scarier because of the moments where things were just kind of off. You know, when the not Donna and the not Doctor first make their debuts in the scenes that they're in, it wasn't really until the moment where Donna just out of nowhere with no context just goes, my arms are too long. And it's just like, I'm sorry, what? What did she say? What happened? And progressively from there, it got more and more terrifying. But I do want to give... Major props to both Catherine Tate and David Tennant for carrying this episode. I mean, Catherine Tate is, and I forget this sometimes, is just a a force of nature when it comes to everything that she does. Whether it's like the really subtle stuff or whether it's the really big bombastic shouty, shouty scenes. Um, she can do it all and she does it all with grace and makes it look easy. David Tennant. There is, you know, there's been debate amongst myself, my peers, if you want to go back to our Doctor Who episode, you can, um, where a lot of people kind of view David Tennant as the quintessential doctor. And while he's not my doctor, episodes like this are why I think people feel that way. Because David Tennant, and something that's always fascinated fascinated me about him is he's the most human of all of the doctors which is weird because he's you know he's got a friend he's got the two hearts the regeneration the everything 
he is a very alien character, but David Tennant's rendition of him, whether it be the 10th Doctor or the 14th Doctor, is very much based in human emotion and human reactions. Uh, one of my favorite scenes of the 10th Doctor is in the end of time, where he's kind of raging against the dying of the light after he finds out he has to die to save Wilf. And we very much got that same kind of vibe in this episode where he talks about the flux. And I was so excited for them to reference the flux because I got very worried after last episode when, you know, the 14th doctor's giving, you know, kind of the rundown on all the doctors he's been since he was 10. And he's just like, then I was a woman for a second. And I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. They're just going to, they're just going to sweep Jody Whitaker's time under the rug. Yeah, wasn't it crazy? I was a woman once. Thankfully, those events did happen. They had weight. Um, we can toss aside the timeless child bullshit, but the idea that half the universe died and like that has severely messed up the doctor is something that needs to be explored and continued to explore to be explored and i'm really i loved the heart to heart that the two of them had well that doctor had with the not donna and it was just an incredible scene david Tennant continues to inspire me as an actor and as a person and it was just it was it was a wonderful episode overall very unsettling um it felt more like a you know mid-season kind of episode rather than you know the early or the you know debut feeling that we got from last week's episode but i think that's good you know i'm i'm retroactively really sad that we only get three episodes essentially with this duo before shudigatwa's 15th doctor comes swaggering on for christmas but i mean that's kind of the story with dr and donna right we never get enough time with them but overall, I loved this episode. I cannot wait to see what they do next week. Uh, I think the episode's called The Giggle, and it's going to be featuring Neil Patrick Harris as the villainous... What is he called? Oh, no, I'm blanking. It's like... It's it's not Toy Man. Um, I'm going to riff. We're, we're going to look this up in real time. Uh, Doctor Who The Giggle... And he is playing the, is it the Celestial Toymaker? I think it's the Celestial Toymaker. I'm going to say it's the Celestial Toymaker. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is going to be the villainous Celestial Toymaker, uh, which is really exciting. He's going to be putting on a weird German accent. You know, Neil Patrick Harris loves doing his accents. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm really curious how they're going to go through this whole regeneration thing. Maybe it'll be weird. Who knows? I can't wait to find out. So tune in next week for that as we wrap up the 14th Doctor era. But for now, let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of December 6th, 2023. This year is almost over, gang. Uh, this is the segment of our show where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Now, normally here, I say whether it's at your local comic shop or on Comixology, but the Comixology app has been killed by Amazon. Um, yeah, as of this recording, uh, you can't read 
or get anything on Comixology anymore. So it is effectively done and dusted, gang. It is kind of a tragedy to look back on what Comixology was and see where it is now. And by now, I mean done and dusted and buried six feet under. But thankfully, there are alternatives. Um, I'm still in the midst of doing my research on that. So if you know, if you're interested, I will continue to do my research on that and figure out what the best uh, route is for digital comics and whatnot. There are obviously services, Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I don't know if DC has one anymore. It used to be DC Universe, but... Who knows now? But I'm going to keep an eye out on that because I do read stuff on digital. So I guess we'll see. We'll see. But if you are going to be heading to your LCS this week, these are the comics you should definitely be taking a look at. But before we get into these books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And gang, I know that we all have our problems and there are definitely things that it could be doing a little better but captain america number three was fantastic jms and jesus saez with i believe land medina are doing wonderful stuff in this book and i'm really enjoying it so far it's not the same as the hive mind run as much as i would like for them to have continued it but they are they're telling a a different story and i'm very very interested in it but that's last week's books this week we've got one two three four five six books to talk about so let's dive right in with batman number 140 this is written by chip zadarsky with art by jorge jimenez and this i believe is the end of the mind bomb stuff um yeah or no, 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 no. We because we just just we we just started that last week. Um, we've got the Joker back in the story. You know me. You know how much I don't need the Joker in my Batman stories anymore. But I understand eventually you got to bring him back. And Chip has a lot of goodwill with me for his Batman run so far. So I am more than happy to take a look at this. Uh, let's dig into the synopsis. Batman versus a legion of himself? It's Batman versus the Joker in their most brutal fight of all time. But wait, Batman is also battling a legion of himself. What has Zur done, and who will walk away? The brutal mind bomb continues. Yeah, so this is very quickly ramping up into the you know big climax of the Batman versus Zur war that's been going on for control of Bruce's soul. Uh, so I'm really excited. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we've got X-Men number 29. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Joshua Kassara. And we are just about here with the fall of X and everything that's going to be coming out of that. Uh, we do know that Big changes are in store, and we also know, as according to the end of last month's issue, that Doctor Doom is going to be hitting the stage. So let's dive into the synopsis and see what is going on. Doom's X-Men. That's right. Doctor Doom has his very own team of Latvian mutants, loyal to the benevolent leader that keeps their country safe, and they make their spectacular debut in this issue. The X-Men may be in the midst of a fall, but they're not letting Doom's personal squad take their title without a fight. 
That's an interesting idea, too, because, I mean, obviously, you know, the mutant phenomena is worldwide. So why wouldn't there be a team of X-Men in Latveria that Doom has kept an eye on? I'm really interested in this idea. The X-Men battling the mutants that are, obviously, I'm assuming, the Latvarian mutants, they look really interesting. So I can't wait to learn more about them. This is going to be a fun one to pick up. Next up, speaking of fun, we got Shazam number six. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. And I freaking love this team. I love what they're doing with Billy Batson and family. Uh, they're doing great. And the story of, you know, Shazam being, or the captain being, I still love that, the captain being corrupted by the gods that have given him his powers is a really cool concept. And I'm excited to see, I'm assuming with this being issue six, how it all wraps up. But we'll see. Let's, let's dig into the synopsis and find out what's going on. Meet Shazamite. Oh, no. Is he getting a Batmite character? Oh, no. Uh, Meet the Captain reaches its action-packed finale when Billy is forced to battle the very six gods who give him his magic abilities, a fight he can't possibly hope to win. Once the dust settles, who will possess the power of Shazam? Plus, the interdimensional imp Batmite has come to Fawcett City and he's brought his cousin with him, the Captain's biggest fan, Shazamite. Then flee in terror before the entire city turns upside down. So that looks like it's going to be a fun backup. I kind of wish they'd been able to draw this out into, you know, Billy as the captain and the rest of the Shazamily going after the gods each one by one, but I understand why they couldn't have done that. So I'm excited to see how this wraps up, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they've got planned next. Next up, we've got Daredevil number four. This is written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Herman Peralta and... I mean, this book rules. This book rules. Daredevil has been firing on all cylinders, and now Bullseye is back in the game. So let's dig into the synopsis and find out what we've got. Don't miss Bullseye. Bullseye makes his bloody entrance into Matt Murdock's new life, and Hell's Kitchen is caught in the crossfire. As the bodies pile up, Daredevil is forced to make an impossible choice between stopping his deadliest enemy and saving the soul of his friend. Ooh, I wonder which friend they're talking about here. Uh, so I'm really excited. Batman, Batman, Red Batman, uh, Daredevil versus Bullseye is always a really fun time, especially to see how different creative teams handle it. So I'm really excited to see what this team has in store, and I can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we've got Birds of Prey number four. This is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Leonardo Romero. This book rules. This book rules so hard. All the characters are so freaking good. Um, and now they're fighting Wonder Woman. So, like, what? Uh, everything you could possibly want in this book is there. Uh... They even, you know, did exactly what I asked of them when this was first announced. I wanted more Asian characters. We're getting more Asian characters. So this book can do no wrong by me. I'm loving the art. I'm loving the story. I'm loving the characters, their interactions with each other. This is just a 10 out of 10 book for me. So let's, uh, let's dig into the synopsis and see what's next as the Birds of Prey go up against Wonder Woman. 
the birds versus the Amazon warriors. Chaos reigns as the first mission for the Birds of Prey has, unsurprisingly, gone sideways. Even with the collective battle prowess of her hand-picked team, did Black Canary bring enough firepower to fight their way off Themyscira? It's going to be real interesting to find out, isn't it? I can't wait to pick this up. This is going to be amazing. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is... Thunderbolts number one. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, The Hive Mind, with art by Geraldo Borges. Borges? Borges? I apologize. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm going to find out. I'm going to do something, but I apologize for now. But we have been waiting for Thunderbolts. We've been waiting for Thunderbolts ever since it was announced. This is the sequel to... Well, essentially, it's a spiritual sequel to their uh, to the Hive Minds Captain America run, and it's pitting the Thunderbolts against the Red Skull. I am very excited about this. They're continuing their saga with Bucky Barnes turning into the Revolution, and I cannot wait for this. So let's dive into the synopsis and see what's going on with the Thunderbolts. A revolution is coming. Bucky Barnes, the revolution, just inherited a mountain of covert intel, and he has one objective. Justice like lightning. He's going after the establishment, the people no one else is willing or able to take down, and he'll do whatever it takes to win. Teaming with the mysterious Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, Bucky assembles a team of Black Ops heavy hitters to pursue high-profile targets like the Red Skull, Kingpin, and even Doctor Doom himself. No one is safe from the Thunderbolts. So I really like that angle for the Thunderbolts, essentially being, like, covert Black Ops... A covert black ops team meant to overturn dictators and fascists the world over. Uh, this is going to be something special, so make sure you put in the time to pick this up. I am super freaking excited about this. And I'm really excited about all the books we're picking up this week. we got Batman number 140, X-Men number 29, Shazam number 6, Daredevil number 4, Birds of Prey number 4, and Thunderbolts number 1. Lots of globe trotting going on this week in the comics countdown, but thankfully, you don't have to travel the globe to get these comics. You just gotta head on over to your local comic book shop and pick up some amazing comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is the first time you're joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. That's right. You can write literally anything. I will be forced to read every single word live on my podcast. As long as you give me that five-star rating and review, I will be more than happy to read whatever you will write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Terrific 21. Our challenge is still going. I'm hoping to get four more reviews before the end of the year. I think we can do it, y'all. I think we can do it. I think it is a goal that we can meet i just need four reviews to get us to 25 before the year ends and you will not have to buy me a single christmas gift dropping those ratings and reviews really doesn't cost you anything takes a couple minutes at most if you want to get a little wordy uh, but it really does help us out it really helps us get 
you know, our show in front of new listeners, in front of new eyes. And we want to keep growing the audience. We want to keep things going. And we love having y'all let us know what we're doing right. So, uh, Again, let me know on whatever podcasting platform. It doesn't necessarily have to be on iTunes, but if you want it read on the podcast, you got to do it on the iTunes. So either way, thank you so much to those who have already sent in their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geek Explained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, uh, get first notification for announcements for the show and when new episodes go live, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's at P-O-D as I continue to push the boulder up the mountain that is trying to get good at instagram and for as long as twitter i'm not calling it x is still around those are going to be the places to interact with the show and finally this friday and every friday we're putting on the geek explained book club you know how it is currently my good brother malcolm russell nelson and i are going through every single issue of every single volume of the green lantern rebirth era we just wrapped up the benjamin percy led section of that whole run and now we are heading into the back half of the story I am very excited to cover this. Uh, we've got the Bensons, Julie and Shauna, that are going to be jumping in for writing duties on the book with art by Javier Fernandez. I love his art, and I love this creative team, so join us, won't you, this Friday and every Friday as we look to finish off Season 4, as well as the rest of this year, with a bang. Or maybe a boxing glove arrow. Either way, be there or be square, not a circle. Emerald Archer Fridays are very real, so hopefully we'll see you there. I want to say a huge thank you once again to Rina Ayuyang for being with me on this episode to talk Man in the Macintosh suit. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, she was a blast to talk to and to gain her insight. I'm still... It blows my mind still looking at the cover of this book and realizing that Bobot is not the character that is in the eponymous Macintosh suit on the cover of the book. It's so freaking cool. I had a wonderful time chatting with Rena, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Turning our eyes now to week two, to part two of In December 2023, I'm going to be joined by my brother-in-arms, Malcolm Russell Nelson, as we go over Miles Davis and the search for the sound. It is a treat for the eyes as much as it is a treat for the ears we're both huge jazz fans and we got a recommendation from this from a friend of the podcast and my number one favorite comic artist in the biz today doc shaner to go check this book out so we are going to be talking about it next week so join us for that episode same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody stay safe, and we will see you next time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With 
the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the happiest season of all. There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time, oh, the most wonderful